right, so um, my name is JJ, and I'm just going to kind of do a quick introduction. It's been a really, really long time since I preached um, here at Driftwood, um, but I will just give you a quick background on who I am, and I'm going to do the short testimony of um, this is who I am based off of like when I was a kid, right? So I grew up in a home, you guys might be able to relate with this, where you had a parent maybe that wanted you just to experience religion. Um, so they took you to church because when they were kids, their parents drug them to church as well. So for me, that's what it was, is that I was originally taken to a church simply because my mom and my dad remembered going to church when they were kids. I also think that they really appreciated the hour and a half they got while my brother and I were somewhere else, uh, and they could sit in relative silence in the top of some part of the sanctuary, right? So um, they would take us, they would drop us, and then they would go to whatever the service they were going to, and then we would go to children's church. So we'd get to hang out still with, um, you know, hearing the gospel or hearing the Bible preached in some manner or the other, and that's what we did growing up as kids. And then I remember that my parents, um, when I was about seven, eight years old, my parents got baptized. And when they got baptized, they were going to go get baptized in the ocean. And I thought that was really cool. So I said, all, I knew all the things because, I mean, you know, kids are pretty smart. So I knew all the things to say. And I was actually able to get baptized along with them. And I remember my brother got baptized as well. So we all got baptized as a family. But I remember the pastor like called us in and like, asked us these questions with my parents sitting there around this table to verify that we were saved or whatever it was, right? Um, and then that's what, so that's what I remember as far as like why I got baptized. My parents were getting baptized in the ocean. I thought it was cool and I answered a lot of questions right, right? So that was baptism when I was a kid. And then fast forward a little bit and I get into middle school, high school. And in high school, I remember one thing just led to another and I kind of realized that I had a need for a savior, Okay, so there's difference. Now I felt like, okay, there's conviction of sin. I've been living the way that I want to. And I know that for I know, I know that I need a savior. And I know from based off of everything that I've heard in my past, that that savior is Jesus Christ. So I need to give my life to Jesus. So I did that, but I did that all by myself in my bedroom, nobody else around, dealt with it all on my own, and then continued to go to youth group where the reality was is that I just simply wasn't discipled to dig into the word of God. I was discipled to dig into pizza. I was discipled to dig into like rules and stuff for games. I was, I was discipled to do those things, um, but I wasn't discipled to dig into the Bible and just simply read it for myself and come to an understanding of what it's saying to me based off of the Holy Spirit speaking into my life. Okay, so that was what kind of propelled me to then, I was like, all right, what do I want to do with my life? Thought I wanted to be a teacher in a high school. Also saw how everybody treated teachers in high schools as those kids that were in my class, right? So I said, all right, not doing that. It would be fun. I could totally hang with it and I could survive, I think, but I'm not going to do that. Um, instead, I decided, you know what, let's just, I'm going to go figure out this thing. I'm going to go and get further discipled. I'm going to become a pastor. And I wanted to become a student minister uh, simply because at the time, I thought I could do a way better job, right? So I was like, let's just read the Bible. How hard can it be, right? So um, we go, I go off to the Baptist College of Florida, which is in the panhandle of Florida. Most people will never know it exists, which is fine. Um, but at the same time, in the panhandle of Florida, completely secluded from everything in my life up to that point. So like I said, I hadn't been discipled. So this was great for me. Um, I made the decision to literally pull myself into podunk nothing 
and go to the Graceville, Florida and go to the Baptist College of Florida. And then I, from that moment, began really getting discipled because I was being forced to, but for a grade, it helps, you know, there's always that, but I was being forced to dig into the word of God and come up with conclusions for myself, what it was saying, and if it lined up with the entirety of scripture. So, and that was everything, that was math, that was science, that was humanities, that was history, everything was pointing back to, okay, here's what scripture is, and here's what, even the forefathers of history, here's what they believed, and here's why they really did what they did to get us to the point we are in our country today. Here's why the world is falling apart. Here's these group leaders um, that have either made these decisions, but in their background, they're followers of Christ, or here's these leaders, and watch how this country quickly falls apart because they're not focused on trying to honor God in their actions. So you can look at world history and quickly see these things, right? You can also see world history from times past and you can line it up with what the Bible says. And it's like, wow, this actually happened in history. We have accounts for it everywhere. And look at that. There's the Bible saying it's going to happen sometimes before it even happened um, based off of when that book or that letter would have been written. So had that opportunity. It was great. That's also where I met Ashley. Um, she came up to tour the college. I was in the marketing department. I was taking pictures. So I saw her um, through my camera lens a lot. And, uh, and then I just kind of was like, I'm going to sit next to this girl during lunch and her dad, well, her dad, not necessarily next to her. I had to make sure I sat next to Eddie first. Um, so I sat next to him. Then we had conversation. And then he was like, hey, this guy's really cool. He knows a lot about the school. If you have questions, you should probably get his number um, so that we can, I don't know, talk about the school. I says, is well done. So good. Um, but then from that point, uh, we continued to talk. And then um, she ended up coming to the school. And obviously, after a while, we got married. So uh, from that point of getting married and all the way up to that point, God just kind of was leading me along uh, in these things. And I, it, reality is I just had to be faithful. Now, did I know how everything was going to play out? Absolutely not. When I was at the school, that's when it finally hit me. A couple things. One, um, when I was in high school and middle school, even though in high school I had given my life to the Lord, uh, I wasn't discipled by anybody. And my parents are not to blame for that because my parents weren't really getting discipled to disciple me. And um, they weren't really being pushed to dig into the word of God. All right. My mom is finally like, she was like figuring all this out. Um, and finally she got to that point where now that's what she does. She'll be digging into the word of God on her own, reading it every single day. Um, but whenever I was seven, eight years old, um, she gets saved, whatever, baptized. And there's no, as far as I could tell, looking at her and the, the history of what they've done, there was no like, hey, you guys should really be reading the word every day and nobody coming alongside them. No small group. It was all about the program of the small group and not and what the, the literature was and not necessarily, hey, let's read the Bible. Um, and so the, that was really my mom has gotten to that point where I can see that in her. And I think if she had the opportunity to do it all over again, she'd be really shoving the word of God down our throats when we were younger, right? Like, here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. But she just wasn't there yet. And so can't blame her for that. Um, but at the same time, God was able to lead me to the point where now that's what I know is something that needs to happen constantly. So that's why when Fernanda said that, I was like, yes, you have to share the word of God with your kids at every moment. All right. Um, so like I said, I jumped through high school. I did all that. I became this youth pastor. Right. Like I said, I don't really think youth pastors should exist. Um, it's, a, it's a pointless role in the church. It's good to be a pastor, but like defining youth pastor, y'all, that's just saying I don't have to do that. Like that guy can take care of the kids. It's not my responsibility. That's just my personal 
You might finally see that, and you may be like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Um, just if you're there now, don't go back to your home church if you're visiting and say, hey, we should ditch the youth pastor, okay? <laughs> don't do that. Um, he won't appreciate it, neither will. If he's married, his wife will freak out. Like, don't do that to them, all right? Um, so don't, don't do that. But then moving forward, then we came here, and uh, we joined Eddie when he planted Driftwood Church at the Beach two years later. Uh, my main thing was like setting up the marketing stuff, like online presence and all of that, uh, trying to get us to where people would recognize we were here. You know, we can't do door-to-door evangelism, if you want to call it that, uh, on this part of the beach. Um, It's impossible. We're not allowed to do it. Can't just walk up to the condos and knock-knock and ask to go inside and tell people about Jesus and about Driftwood. Um, So the only way to do that is if you found us on Google or Facebook, you're welcome. Um, That's my job, is I try to make sure that you have the ability to find us because it's really hard if somebody's searching for a church or or even just kind of at a moment in their life where what do I do next? Um, I just want you to know that you guys can come here because we're helping each other see life from God's perspective by reading the Word. Um, And then it's your job from that point, if you want to continue to read the Word, great do it, please. I promise you that that's where we just want to get you on track to reading the Bible. Uh, And we're going to do that today, I promise. I'm just giving you a background on me. Uh, So uh, we all go through this journey though, right? That was kind of mine. I found myself to where I was like in the word of God, uh, but it took a while. And I made a lot of mistakes along that route to get there. And it hits me when I'm in in college that, wow, I've given my life to Jesus, but I'm not like sold out, like letting Jesus carry me through life. I'm like struggling, right? Uh, And maybe you've been there too, where you struggle, because this is what this looks like, right? We think Jesus has our back. Um, Like we we jump into maybe the fight of the world, and it's like we're like guns blazing. Well, actually, actually, no, Eddie says guns all the time. Guns blazing, right? And uh, and we're like fighting, and we're like, you see like the arrows of the enemy coming against you, and you imagine you're like this, and you're slashing, and like you hear about the armor of God, and you're like, yeah, I got that all on, I'm ready for battle. When in reality, what I kind of see just a little bit more um, is that it's not necessarily that I'm jumping into this battle, and I'm looking back saying, hey, Jesus, you got my back, right? Um, It's more like, and I really want Alana to come up here. Do you want to go get her? Just, it adds so much. Just go, just go find, she'll like it if you go down. I was going to just disappear and come back up with her, but that you'd get really confused. Um, so I'm going to try to get Alana up here and, uh, and then we'll see where we can go. So, uh, but like I said, so Jesus doesn't really have our back and I just want you to hear that. And if it like hits you wrong, it's like, no, Jesus has my back. Jesus has my, I just, Jesus, someone having your back means they're protecting you and you're like in the fight, Right you're in the fight, you're kind of there. And then like, you kind of can look back and you're like, all right, he's there. Right. I was watching Top Gun. Um, I got Ashley to watch the old Top Gun because I'm trying to get her to let me go and watch the new Top Gun. Um, so we're watching and she's like, oh man, I really like like the chick flick scenes of this movie, but the fighting scenes just kind of overwhelm me. And I'm like, man, they could have done a better job transitioning there, you know, just to kind of make it to where I could have the opportunity. So, but she's like, you know, you, you see Maverick, right? And he's flying. And at first he's kind of like all on his own and he's like doing his thing. Uh, and he's got his wingman goose and all that. And they're flying. And every so often goose is like, Mav, you know, you're doing a pretty good job, but you kind of freaking me out here, buddy. Like, let's just think about things. And he's like, no, I'm going to do this. And he flies off and he's pew, 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 um, you know, and he's shooting. 
Uh, that was Star Wars mixed with Top Gun. Anyway, so uh, and then you you all of a sudden you mix it, uh, and then there's Iceman and he's flying. And his biggest thing is he's kind of like Ray. Would you say that? Like if Ray was a fighter pilot, he's he's Iceman because he's got rules, and it's like if you don't follow, like I'm a good pilot, but you got to follow every rule to the T, or I don't like you. Right. And like that's Ray. And uh, and so he's kind of so this is Iceman. And so Iceman's like, you got to follow the rules, man. You know, if you're my wingman, if you're flying next to me, you don't back off and go do your own thing. And Maverick's like, no, I need points, you know, like I'm going to go. So uh, so and then that kind of works itself out. Right. If you've seen the movie, I won't ruin it completely. But um, so that's the idea. Sometimes I think we have with Jesus It's like either I'm Jesus's wingman or Jesus is like my wingman. Right. And in reality, Alana, don't get upset. If she does, it's a still a sermon illustration. But when you get reality, this is it, right? Here, come with me. You have snacks. But she usually we give her snacks after she's already in this, and then she loves it. It's okay. It's fine. Look, we're gonna ride. We're ride. It's okay. This is what we do a lot, right? It's like Jesus is like, just get in the backpack. And we're like, no. Here, do I need to? I don't. I won't strap you in. How about that? You'll survive. Ashley will catch you, right? And then, so in reality, this is us. This is Jesus, right? Jesus is like, hey, just get on my back, right? Right. And so, so this is what I want you to just kind of get in your heads: is that Jesus? Okay, Jesus doesn't have our back. He says, get on mine, right? So. Let's see if this clicker works. Ah, there we go. Jesus doesn't have our back. He carries us on his, right? That's more of what scripture looks like. And I'm going to show you guys that. It's really cool. Um, I've been reading through scripture. That's my kind of goal is like, just keep reading. Um, because if I miss a day, I can look and I'd be like, man, I better catch up. And like, it's just, it just helps me. For some of you, that's way too overwhelming. Like on my phone, I have 50 billion red dots. And if you have a smartphone, you know what I'm talking about. You've got email messages, you've got social media alerts, you've got reminders, you've got calendar, you've got, okay, I have messages like text messages, voicemails backed up. I have the red dots all over my phone. My screen is just every app has a red dot on it. For some of you, you're too like, you know, type A, you have to, you, every time the red dot pops up, you got to clear it. Um, I'm not that way. I let the over, red dots overwhelm me and I hit them when I can. So, um, so if you ever wonder why is Driftwood not responding to me, that's because I'm the one responding. Um, and so I'll get there, I promise. And we have a really bad response rate on Facebook, but I don't really care that much. So, um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, so just know that. And, uh, and so here's, but here's this. Okay. So I've got Alana on my back. All right. She cried a little bit when I got her up there, but notice how she's pretty chill. She might be eating her snack. All right. And so I just want you to kind of keep watching her as we go, because things may happen. Uh, and if you giggle, I'll know she's doing something really, really cute. All right. But Jesus does not have uh, my back. He carries me on his. And so uh, I just want to kind of make sure I didn't pass anything. Did I pass through pictures a second ago as I was clicking? No. All right. I just want to make sure because I've got like this stuff here and I'm going to I'm going to miss it. I know it. All right. So the goal here, the question I've got for you is where are you placing your faith? And this is where we're going to go into Habakkuk. It's Old Testament. All right. And so minor prophets. Habakkuk is actually writing during the same time as Jeremiah. He just had a little bit less to say um, because Habakkuk was one of those guys that 
God spoke to him as a prophet, and then he had some questions. And like you and I would have maybe some questions for God. Habakkuk is like this really insightful prophet. He's like, God, what you said is totally fine because you're God, but I've got a few concerns with your plan, right? I just want to make sure that what you're saying right now, God, is actually what you mean to say. And he ends in this kind of point here. He says in Habakkuk 2, um, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. Kind of the same idea where it's like the goal of this message, Habakkuk, is that you just read it. Right? There's not, don't get super in depth. Don't, don't take my words out of context in any way, shape, or form. I just simply want you to write down what I'm saying, and I want someone to be able to run around and tell everyone what you, what I've said. All right? So do not misconstrue this. Do not carry on. Don't make it a massive, lengthy sermon like what I'm about to do, right? Just keep it simple. So this vision is for a future time. It's in the future. It describes the end, but really that word end doesn't actually mean like end of times. It's just like it's going to be fulfilled. So until this is fulfilled, okay, this is what I'm saying now, but it's going to be fulfilled. And that will be, quote, the end, right? Uh, and it will be fulfilled. There you go. You see that there. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it, for it because it's surely going to take place. It will not be delayed. Okay. And so this is where we're going to, this is the verse right here. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. And that phrase, the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. You're going to find it three times in the new Testament, and we're going to end up getting to those places. But I want you just to hold on to this. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. And there are two people that are talked about here, the proud and then the righteous. Okay, what can we be prideful of? I just want to help you guys get on the right track here. You can be prideful of money, right? I could be prideful if I have a lot of money. In that moment, I could be like, wow, I have a lot of money. I'm good. I think I'm all set. I can buy this house or that house. I could invest in it and I could completely set myself up for the rest of my life. But what else could I be prideful of in the opposite of that? I could say, wow, I'm really poor. I think I'm going to stay poor. Um, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to go out on a limb here. So you know what? Um, God is going to take care of me. And you just go around telling everyone that. You know, I'm not going to go further than I need to because I'm poor, and I and I know God's going to take care of me, right? And you can become that can become your mantra of I know God's going to take care of me because I'm poor, right? And that's a, that's a different form of pride to boast in the amount that I'm poor. The other could be, I know how to do something. Let's say that I'm really, really good at playing soccer. And I just know that I'd be like the best coach, right? I could coach soccer really well. So I'm going to say, I'm a really, really good soccer coach. Look at all those other poor suckers out there that are trying to teach their kids. I can't wait until their kids graduate and become my kids on my soccer team so I can show them finally how to really learn how to play soccer, right? And then at the same time, I could say, man, I'm a really, really bad soccer coach. I'm going to be a coach anyways, but I'm a really bad soccer coach. And you know what, kids? You're here. You're with me. I'm so sorry that you have to have me as your coach this year. And it's like, as a kid, you're thinking, well, that was terrible. But if that's what you live by, of like, uh, you know what, I'm a bad soccer coach, and I'm just going to be a bad soccer coach. I'm going to tell everyone I'm a bad soccer coach. I'm going to boast in the fact of how bad a soccer coach I am. And that's going to be my excuse for every game we lose. 
right? Like it's just kind of one of those like, okay, that can kind of get kind of prideful in it is that I'm just going to be boastful about how bad of a soccer coach I am. And so you see how it can go both ways. Um, It's not that you're super rich or you're super poor or you're a really good coach or really good at something or really bad at something. The more that you harp on that being something about me, who I am, that's whenever it all of a sudden can become very boastful and very prideful. And so it can go one of either ways. And that's where Habakkuk, when he, God talks to him about the prideful, okay, this is why I wanted to get to that part about prideful. We all are prideful. No matter how far ahead we think we are, that's actually, there you go, you're prideful. Okay, no matter how much you think you measure up to Matthew, where it talks about these things that line up to somebody that's righteous in the kingdom of God, right when you kind of start to think you're there, there's a good chance that you just become prideful. We got to not be thinking, oh, Jesus has my back because that's prideful. That means I'm fighting and Jesus is there with me or Jesus is fighting. And you know what? I get to stand right alongside him, man. You know, like that's prideful. I'm not Jesus's wingman. He's not mine. I'm simply just riding on his back. He's doing everything. I just get an opportunity to be there. That's pretty cool. So Habakkuk 1, we're going to jump all the way back to Habakkuk because you're going to get an idea of what we're talking about with pride here. And unlike, like, I'm just going to say it, I'm going to read through scripture today. All right. I love what scripture has to say. It speaks for itself. So my encouragement is if something sticks out to you and you have a physical Bible, underline and highlight it. If you have the Bible app on your phone in any way, shape or form and something sticks out to you, highlight it, note it, underline it, whatever, um, because then you have the opportunity as you continue to look through it to be like, man, that stuck out to me. Or it helps visually for me. I can be reading through the rest of the Bible and I can say, whoa, I saw that back in. And then I can just thumb through until I see maybe that highlight or that underline. And it just so happens that it's in Habakkuk today. So this is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. So he receives this in a vision. It's coming from the Lord. And it says, uh, and this is what um, Habakkuk is kind of in this presence of God. And he's starting to do his questioning. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Now, as we read this, Habakkuk could just as well be talking about today. So here we go. We're going to keep going. Just you'll see it, right? Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. And there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. The Lord then replies and he says, look around at the nations, look and be amazed. So he says, take a look at everyone around you. I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people, and they will march across the world and conquer other lands. So in Habakkuk's day, it's not the the Babylonians are about to rise to power, which means that which nation is falling from power? Who knows? Assyria. So Assyria's in power. That's Nineveh. That's Jonah. That's Jonah going and preaching. That's Jonah saying after the whale thing, okay, that he goes, he goes to the city and he preaches this destruction and violence. And then the Ninevites, okay, the Assyrians, the capital city, they repent. And in that repentance, Jonah gets mad. He's like, God, you were supposed to obliterate them. 
And then apparently what's happened is that now Nineveh is actually coming to its place where it is going to have to give an account for all of the evil it's done and destroying nations, literally just going through and wiping out people as they go along. And they are the ones in top power. So in the imagination of anyone else in the world, there is no way that somebody is going to come to power that is stronger or able to defeat them. But God says here, he says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. And you know what? They're cruel and they're violent. And that's who I'm going to use. And they're going to go across and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and they do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away like eagles. They swoop down and they devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. So just imagine kind of like a broom, right? As you sweep and the dust moves ahead of you. That's literally what he's saying. Captives are literally just being swept ahead of them. You can imagine little effort and little work. They're just going through and conquering and capturing lands as they go. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all of the fortresses. They simply pile ramps ramps of of earth against against their walls and and capture capture them. them. They sweep past like like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. So we have a prideful people that God is saying he's going to use to destroy all these nations. And he's actually implying here that he's going to use them to humble Judah and Israel. So prophet Habakkuk gets this message, and his initial response is what we're about to read. And you might be yours too. If you heard this was God's plan, right? This might be your response. If you're following after Jesus today, you hear this is how God is going to correct things. You might respond in this way. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal. See that? Like all of a sudden it just went from Lord to like, I've got all these names for you, God, just in case you forgot. Like you're holy, you're perfect. I love you. You're eternal. I love you. You know, like please, like come on. All right. So this is kind of what Habakkuk has done. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. Like did God say I'm going to wipe you out? No. But Habakkuk's getting a little ahead here. Oh, Lord, our rock, you know, like kind of going, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. So he gets that. That is what God's doing. But you are pure, and you cannot stand the side of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Like He's kind of getting a little whiny here. Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Just saying, this is him asking God, don't you, don't you have our back? Like, come on, God, you've got my back. Like, you've got Israel's back, right? Like, you're not going to let this happen. Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? And then they'll worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who have made us rich, they will claim. Will you let them? Oh, I might have jumped ahead. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? So again, he's asking, God, don't you have our back? Because remember, the nation of Israel has been promised from the very beginning. Abraham is the one that kind of came in. It's been promised that he's going to establish a nation through them that's going to bless the nations, right? So Habakkuk's kind of leaning on that. Like, I know that you said this. But now you're kind of making it seem like this is a bad nation coming. Like they are notorious for going in and just wiping people out. And, and God, are you going to do that to us too? Right? 
Um, so Habakkuk then says this again. He says, I'll climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I'll wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. And then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets. You got these complaints, you have these worries, and that's good. But write this plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others so that nobody can take what I'm about to tell you out of context, because yes, the Babylonians are coming. Yes, they are destructive. Yes, it is not going to be good for you. Okay? Carry the correct message, though, Habakkuk. This vision is for a future time. It's going to happen. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. It, If it seems slow in coming, so if it doesn't happen tomorrow, just wait, because it's coming it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. And remember, delayed is not like uh, it's going to happen in a week. Um, and if it doesn't happen, you know, like it's, that's not what delayed means. It's just simply saying like, this is going to happen okay, in my time. So I'm not going to delay it when I say go. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to know the time that it's supposed to come. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. He doesn't define that Israel is not prideful. He doesn't say even that Habakkuk is not prideful. He just simply says in all of this, look at the proud. And he says specifically, their lives are crooked. And you can be prideful whether you're from Judah, from Israel, from Babylon, from Assyria, you can be prideful. And it says this, that the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. So, Alana, is she asleep yet? Yeah. Oh, oh, keep talking. Yeah, keep walking. Keep talking. That's what we learned on while we were hiking. So we were hiking in Utah, right? You can kind of see this picture of Keone. If you're online, I just disappeared, and there's a picture on the screen, right? But we're walking, and uh, the first two hikes that we're doing, I even had to walk sometimes like this, like up mountains, like bouncing. It was so bad. Uh, I got a really good leg workout. Anyway, so uh, we're walking, and the first day of hiking, Ashley is not there with us because we went to Utah to, for Ashley to go to a conference. And so we knew, though, uh, this is like two weeks ago. We just got back from Utah two weeks ago. So we knew going into this that, um, that we were going to stay extended time and hike. And we also knew that hiking meant elevation. It could potentially mean snow. We didn't plan for it, but we knew it could potentially be there. We didn't fully plan for uh, cold weather. Uh, we knew that it was also going to get days where you're going to have like 100 degree weather. Um, so we were just kind of fully prepared for everything, except I forgot that Keone is not used to elevation. Um, and so our first hike uh, that we did with em me and Emily and then the kids uh, Keone is along for the hike and 50 steps into the hike. I kid you not, probably less than that. He immediately is bawling and he's crying and he's like, I'm done. I'm not hiking anymore. Now our trip, the goal was not necessarily like we, it was really quick that we realized Ashley was going for a conference, but we were actually going to hike. Like Ashley didn't care about the conference she was going to. She really just wanted to hike. And so she not being there, Emily and I are like, this is going to be a bad trip. Like, <laughs> We're not going to get to hike because Keone literally is just not going to do it. Um, and so we're walking and we're hiking. We're going up elevation, very, very steep elevation at times. Uh, and so Keone's just crying and he's bawling. And I was doing everything I could to encourage him in my own way, 
And uh, and then Emily, same, um, but we weren't moms. So we didn't have like that full, as you would imagine, motherly like encouragement. Uh, and so uh, Keone was eating snacks. He was drinking out of a camelback. He was like, we were like, we after a while, we decided to take more breaks than what we were taking. At one point we're walking and Keone literally out loud, audibly says, I think that these are sitting rocks. And I'm like... <laughs> Sure, these are the sitting rocks. The first ones weren't, but then the next ones, yeah, we made those sitting rocks. So we just were trying, but I realized later it's like, oh, altitude. Like he, he wasn't used to like, I mean, we were at like I don't know, four or 5,000 feet um, and we're here, right? So this is where we live. So Keonia's whole life hasn't really had the whole altitude thing where he's had to deal with um, working uphill in that way. So, or work, working at that high level of altitude. So we're going along and Keone's crying, he's losing it. Um, but you can probably imagine what Alana was doing, right? She's doing that, right? And so the whole, every time we hiked, Alana's on my back and she's hiking along. Now, there was only, and, and Keone is just like losing it. So with Keone, we're encouraging him, but he still had to do a lot of the work. So I had Keone's back. Come on, I'll give you a snack. I'll let you rest. I'll, you know, but at the end of the day, you got to get there, right? Alana, though, she's on my back. So then we move on, and uh, Keone, we found some really cool places with Keone, right? Um, we hiked some really cool places. He jumped into it. I think that our high altitude training prepared us for the lower down southern Utah area. So he did a high altitude training, and then he was good to hike after that. So we got to climb some really cool things. Um, but like I said, Alana's just like, she's hanging out the whole time. She's on my back and she's walking along. And uh, so we ended up everywhere we went, she's hanging out and she's there. But uh, there's just something that needs you need to know about Keone. There's this one day when we're hiking and um, we're hiking in snow. And, and Ashley... Um, she did this thing where she was following and Keone is walking everywhere. And he was really proud of himself because he was like, man, daddy showed me how to walk on this ice. I mean, it's slick, like some of it black ice. So he's like, he's like taking his steps, like really careful. And like when he would walk downhill, uh, he would walk with his heel down. So I would say, like, if you're going downhill, um, you go heel down. And then if you're walking uphill, you do heel up. So you walk kind of more on your toes. And I just was like helping him realize like how to keep his balance going both ways. Um, and then all of a sudden, like Ashley's walking on ice and she just like lost it. She falls down and she first time she starts sliding down like this embankment going towards this river uh and she's yelling she's like she's completely lost it you have to look for her on facebook because we posted it it was just too good um but then after that uh so oh and by the way we posted it emily immediately who is right there whips her phone out and just starts recording so um so that's why we got that one but anyway so so ashley about loses it and so she's freaking out well then she stands up again and she loses it again but she falls this time face first down and she's hugging the ground and she's screaming on the ice, I'm not going to get up. I can't get up. I can't get up. And what was beautiful about that moment, though, is that at that point she was on flat ground. Um, so she was literally not going to go anywhere. She was good. So I walked over with Alana on my back and she's screaming at me more because of Alana's on my back and I pick her up when she gets up. Um, but then from that point, uh, we're walking back down the mountain. And I don't know why I let her do this, but I think I was tired of hearing Keone cry. Uh, she carried Alana from that moment on for like about a tenth of a mile or so. Uh, and then Keone jumped on my back. 
because he saw there was an empty space. And he knew, he knew it's way better to ride on the back of dad than for me to have to walk another step. So uh, again, he didn't want me, he didn't want me to just have his back. He wanted to get on my back. All right. And so we can see that uh, in that. So Jesus doesn't just have my back. Okay? He doesn't have your back. He doesn't have my back. He's carrying me on his back. Um, and so this is where we're going to look at what Habakkuk 2.4 said. Um, and this is where I'm going to show you all a New Testament scripture. And so as we read through, and I'm telling you, we are reading through it. Okay, I'm promising you that I'm only going to make light commentary. Uh, we are going to read through some scripture. And so I want you guys to follow with me. We're going to go check out Romans chapter 1. And uh, in Romans 1, we're going to see that Jesus is who we should be putting our faith in. And that's really what it comes down to from the very, very get-go of everything. Who am I going to put my faith in? And, and if you had to choose between Ashley carrying you down a slippery, snowy mountain or me with my backpack, uh, and let's just say that you were a little bit smaller, like maybe down to Keone size. Uh, in that moment, it's pretty easy to choose who you should put your faith in. I haven't slipped. I got the backpack. Like that's literally, those are two main things for me. Um, but at the same time, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus is who we should put our faith in. And as we work through these series of scriptures, I'm going to show you why for sure you can be 100% confident uh, that Jesus is definitely the one you should have your faith put in. All right, so if you're here and you've already put your faith in Jesus, maybe this will just be an encouragement for you this morning. Um, but if you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm telling you with, certainly, or with certainty that he's worth jumping on, on his back. Like just trust him 100% to walk you down literally any slope in life or uphill or on a simple, it could look like an easy walk. Jump on Jesus' back. Because he's the one uh, that's going to get us through life. Truly, we should be putting our faith in him. So um, I'm like, I did this whole manuscript thing because I tried to stay on top of it, right? I know Eddie doesn't, but I had to. I haven't preached in so long, so I like wrote down all my thoughts. Um, so Jesus is who we should put our faith in. And so if you're with me, Romans chapter 1. And Romans 1 by itself is just fantastic to read. Uh, but we're going to hit a few verses here uh, this morning. So this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. And Paul didn't start out that way. He started out killing people that were following Jesus. All right. So Jesus radically changes his life and he turns around as a true study person, the person that loves the Old Testament. He's a Pharisee. He loves God. Like he zealously loves God, believes at first he's supposed to persecute and kill Christians. And then Jesus radically changes his life. Uh, and you can read about that in Acts. And when he's writing to the Romans, this is what he has to share. He says, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And we're talking about the prophets Habakkuk. We're talking about the prophets Daniel. We're talking about prophets like David. David was a prophet, okay, writing the Psalms. We're talking about the Old Testament. It is promised throughout that. Uh, that anyone that pointed to a coming faith, a savior that God was going to send, this is what we're talking about. The good news is about his son. So Romans, I like it because when he's talking about good news, he says straight out the bat, talking about his son. This is Jesus. And in his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. That's one of the Old Testament you had to be's. So the Old Testament prophet said, it's got to be from the line of David Paul, okay, Matthew talks about it. Luke shows it. So we can we have proof that he's from the line of David. 
Paul knowing this says, listen, first off, man, he's from the line of David. So I know that that already qualifies him. He was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So from the very get-go, I've got plenty of proof, Paul's kind of saying. Line of David, there's just one proof. Paul could literally keep naming more. But then he's like, but really the icing on the cake, he was dead and he came back to life. All right, that's it. Like that's, that's it. There's nothing else that needs to be talked about. Jesus Christ came back from the dead and it proved that through that, that he was Christ, that he was our Lord. Verse 16, jumping ahead a little bit there. I am not ashamed of this good news, Paul says, about Christ. It is the power of God at work and it saves everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. In other words, everyone, all right? There is no stipulation of who, what, okay? If you believe Jesus Christ is the Savior, if you trust that his blood has paid the atonement of your sin on the cross, that's it. If you jump on Jesus' back, you're good, right? This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight, right? Right in his sight, just right there, that's it. That's what makes us right in his sight, faith in that. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. So that's all that's required. I don't have to do anything. Okay, I can. I might have kicked and screamed at first, right? And then all of a sudden, I end up in Jesus's backpack, right? And then all of a sudden, he's walking, and you see how that usually works out for us, right? Eventually, we're like, all right, I trust him. That's good. I just had to kind of get there first. A little bit of a kicking and screaming match for some of us, but then eventually, we're like, yeah, you know what? God does actually. God's got this. Jesus is totally good. I'm going to let him do all the work. And that's where I'm just saying, that's where I want you to get to. Let Jesus do all the work. Okay, he's not your wingman. He's got you on his back. It's through faith that a righteous person has life. And that's what we saw in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. So he's quoting Habakkuk 2 there uh, and letting us know that is through faith that righteous people will have their life. Okay? And so what's the righteousness? Um, that's just a quick little thing. We're going to see that too. But what's the righteousness? It's not something that I've done. It's more of a position that I automatically end up in because I'm on Jesus's back. Right? So the backpack for me, right, like to be in that, that's righteousness. But I've, I have faith because I'm in it, right? And so it's just kind of like I automatically get this crazy righteousness. I'll never earn it. I'll never do enough. I'll never sell enough. I'll never be poor enough. I'll never be rich enough. Nothing. But being in the backpack, that's righteousness, all right? That's faith to be in that backpack. So faith in Jesus has always been the plan, though. Okay, so from the very beginning. Actually, Genesis, if I really wanted to jump through it and go through it all, I'd go there. But instead, I'm going to jump to Galatians. So in Galatians chapter 3, this is showing us, if you read the whole thing, it really helps. But Galatians chapter 3 shares that this has always been the plan. Like Jesus has always been the plan. What's more, the scriptures, talking about all of them, looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said that all nations will be blessed through you. And that's in Genesis, okay, about Genesis 12, 13, somewhere in that range. All right, prior to that even, he says that he's going to send someone that's going to crush the head of the serpent, right? And that's Genesis chapter 3, dealing with the curse. All right, so really from the very beginning, we've got God's going to send someone. It's going to bless all nations. There's going to be victory over evil. But in, with Abraham, he promised that every nation on the earth would be blessed through, well, he said through Abraham, but really it's through the seed of Abraham, and that's going to be found in Jesus Christ. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Again, faith, 
Abraham, it took a while for him to even see the beginnings of what God was going to do. He tried to take things into his own hand. He played God's wingman, right? And he said, Jesus, all right, God, you got my back on this, right? I'm going to go do this thing with Hagar, and I'm just going to kind of trust you're going to work all this out because you're moving a little slow, and you maybe need my help. And then God comes back, and he's like, no, that wasn't it. I, you just get in the backpack, Abraham. It's going to happen, right? Um, and eventually, you get Isaac out of that. But again, we oftentimes think, oh, I need to help God along, and that's not the case. That's letting God play wingman versus just jumping on God's back. Get back to verse 10. But those who depend on the law, all right, talking about Moses, Moses brings the law through the Ten Commandments, right? So those who depend on the law make them right with God under a curse, under his curse. For the scriptures say that curse is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So again, Abraham comes, Abraham immediately gets a blessing. Abraham's blessing is all the nations are going to be blessed. Then after Abraham comes Moses. And Moses is in the desert. He's wandering, right? And then all of a sudden he's got the Israelites with him. They go to Mount Sinai. They stand at Mount Sinai and they kind of are like, all right, God, what do you want us to do? Versus you're following God. If you just would stay on God's back, this would be great. But they're like, no, God, we need something more tangible. We kind of want some rules, some laws. So God's like, all right, I'm going to give you these laws. Here's the commandments. And then immediately with that, hey, and if you don't follow these, then that's going to become a curse to you. So immediately the law becomes a curse. Tells you what to do if you really want to stay with it, but it's a curse. And why is it a curse? We're never going to meet every demand of the law at all, especially because one of the laws is you shouldn't lie. So that's really quick for a lot of us. We begin lying pretty quickly. All right, verse 11. So it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So again, here we go. You want to have life as a righteous person, you have to have faith. Doesn't say you should keep the law, doesn't say you should do the right things. Habakkuk again, you have to have faith. Paul pulls that in with the Galatians, you have to have faith. Verse 12, this way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. Okay, we don't if you want to do that, that's fine. A lot of us struggle with that, I understand. Okay, I can get there as well. I can say, man, I got to do all these right things for Jesus so he can approve me. And then I have to remember, wait, no, I'm on Jesus's back. He already approves me. I'm just kind of along for the ride. All right. So verse 13, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law because we're on his back. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in the scriptures, curse is everyone that's hung on a tree. So this is a proof. Jesus died. He died as the, well, the big word is propitiation for our sins. He died as the one that was going to actually satisfy the debt that we owe God. There's no sacrifice. Sacrifice is found throughout all of the Old Testament and the law. Okay, Jesus died. He pays for that penalty. He is hung on a tree. He literally takes the curse of the law upon himself. And though through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit. Again, you see it through faith. Faith, just jumping on Jesus's back, not doing anything. If you think that you have to do something in order to be approved by Jesus, and then you can jump on his back, then that's where you're missing the point. The point is Jesus has just laid the backpack down. He's like, all right, let's get in it. And you're like, wait, Jesus, no, I need to go do this thing or this thing just to get approved by you first. And then I'll be worthy to ride in the backpack. And Jesus is like, no, I'm just, just get in the backpack. We're going like, come on. And um, if you have not jumped in the backpack yet, I'm just saying, do it right. 
Like, don't wait. It's not worth it. Just do it. Trust Jesus with your life. Just go for it. And then if you've got something that needs to be fixed in your life, I guarantee you that if you're riding in the backpack, you're not going to do the things that Jesus doesn't want you to do. Right? When you jump out of the backpack or you struggle, like you notice right now, Alana could care less about what's going on, right? You're, you're jealous of her. Um, but she could care less, right? I can't see her. She's just along for the ride. She trusts that I'm not going to go and go swimming right now. That would be very unfortunate for her. If I ran out into the ocean right now with her on my back, do you think she'd be happy? No, but am I going to do that? No, right? Because I know what she needs. She needs just to be comfortable right now and enjoy. Ashley's watching because I don't have her strapped in, but that's different. You know, Jesus has at least got us strapped in. All right. So here's another one, though. Faith in Jesus will always continue to be the plan. So Jesus was the plan, but he will always be the plan. He's not, the plan's not changing. And this is like one of those promises from God here in Hebrews that we're going to see, is that the plan's not going to change. You're not making the wrong decision by jumping on, G- on Jesus' back, all right? Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. So this is writing to those that are believers. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. And you may have never had to go through terrible suffering, but there was terrible suffering for those believers that were being written to in the Hebrew, uh, in, in this book of Hebrews. Okay. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew that there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you'll continue to do God's will. And then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And this is where Habakkuk had written something just a little bit different. Okay, Habakkuk had written that there was a time coming and the time coming was dealing with the Babylonians. The Hebrew writer takes this and he says, just kind of think about that part about Habakkuk, where he says there was a time coming and it was the Babylonians and it was judgment. There is also another judgment coming. The coming one will come and he will not delay. In that right timing, there will be another judgment coming. So all the suffering that you're going through, take it with joy. If, it, if you feel like you're not getting the justice that you deserve, take it with joy. Because there is a judgment coming, okay? And in that moment, the judgment coming, you don't even want your persecutor to endure that judgment. So take what's going on with joy and use it as an opportunity to still share about your faith and your hope in the Lord. That's what he's pointing to. And he says, my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. By living by faith, we not only are able to know that we know that we're on Jesus's back, But when someone's persecuting you, if you live by faith, you're showing them, hey, listen, it's not about right now. It's not about anything that you can take from me. It's about the fact that I know that I'm on Jesus' back. He's got me no matter what. And I think that you should trust in him too, because there is judgment that will be coming. That's a promise in scripture. It's promised when the Babylonians were coming. And that's something that happened in Habakkuk. And he's using this exact same thing in Hebrews to say, just like the Babylonians came and there was judgment and it was awful and it didn't seem, quote, fair. All right, Jesus is coming. He's the righteous one. He's the chosen one. And the judgment will 100% be fair because you have an opportunity right now to jump on his back. Literally, the judge's back you can jump on right now. And as he carries out judgment, 
you're just going to be essentially along for the ride. You don't have to worry about that judgment. He has given you freedom and clearance just by being on his back. It's not about what we do. Jesus does not have my back. He doesn't have your back. He's carrying you on his back. And if you've given your life to him, he's carrying you on his back. If you've not given your life to him, I promise you he doesn't have your back. He's the righteous judge. There will be an accounting one day. That's just the truth I find in scripture. It is there and you can call it anything you want, but Jesus simply calls it that you're going to be thrown into either there's lake of fire, there's where there'll be a deep darkness, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not a party. It's not fun. It's, it's none of that. It's literally awful destruction that comes and it's judgment and it is eternal. But for right now, Jesus doesn't have your back, but he'll carry you on his and he'll carry you all the way to the throne of God, and he'll lay you down before God. He'll say, I take this one. This is the one I want. I want anyone on my back, God, they're coming in. It's not that you run before him and he says, yeah, God, let them in. He's literally walking. I could, he's walking Alana. If she's on my back, I'm walking wherever she goes, I go. Jesus is going to walk literally right up to the throne of God. He's going to sit down at the right seat and he's going to plop you down right in front of him. And he'll say, yep, these are the ones that are allowed to be here. And that's how you're getting in. I had heard a really cool sermon illustration by a preacher. And this is what he said. He said that just imagine, and maybe you've heard this because it's like on Facebook and Instagram and all that. But it just maybe you've heard this. Uh, imagine the thieves on the cross and you've got two. And they start off both just blasting Jesus. They're ridiculing him. They're making fun. They're using the last moments of their days where they're dying because of their deserved death. All right, on the Roman cross, on either side of Jesus, they're going to use those last breaths to just simply ridicule Jesus along with everyone else. They're having a great time. They're making fun of him. They're spitting at him if they have any breath and uh, spit to be able to do so. They're literally just having a great time ridiculing Jesus. And then all of a sudden, one of the thieves that we read about, or crooks or whatever you want to call him, one of them, something happens to him. He hears something, he sees something, something has to have happened to him in that moment, because in Matthew, he's ridiculing Jesus, but in other gospels, we find that he all of a sudden yells out, this man does not any of the punishment we're getting. This man's righteous. And he says, Jesus, remember me. Will you remember me? Like when you're in paradise, will you remember me? All of a sudden, something changed. I don't know what it was, but I know that something gripped him. The Holy Spirit gripped him. He turned, he changed his ways and what he was thinking. And Jesus just says, yeah, from this moment, you're with me in paradise. And a preacher that is saying, oh, he deserved nothing. Okay, but he jumped on Jesus's back. Imagine this. This is what I, this is what this preacher said. He said, imagine this guy when he gets to heaven after he dies and he walks up to, I don't know, angel. And for some reason for me, like the angel at the front gate is going to have blonde hair. Um, I don't know why. It's just that's the image, right? So blonde hair, blue eyes, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's probably all worldly. But this angel uh, you approach has this, this great smile about him. And he sees this man coming up. And he's like, all right, cool. This is pretty quick. You know, Jesus just died, but whatever. So he comes up. And, uh, and he's like, uh, so what's your name? And he says it. And, the, and he's like, all right, cool, cool. So how did you get here? And the guy's like, I'm here. I mean, I don't know. Okay. Um, he says, so let's just check real quick. Uh, what church are you from? And the guy's like, oh, I didn't go to church. All right. Um, he's like, all right, let's see. What else can we do? What else can we do? Oh, what part of the Bible? What's your favorite Bible verse? The guy's like, nope, don't got any of that. 
And he's like, all right, uh, what about theology? What part of theology sticks out to you the most? What do you hold to, you know? Uh, and the guy's like, I have no clue what you're talking about, dude. And he's like, all right, well, who told you that you could be here? And he's like, I don't know, this guy. Oh, okay. Um, this guy told you to come here. That's good. All right, wh- wh- who was he? What was his name? Yeah, forgot that one. Don't actually remember his name. Um, so where did you meet him? I don't know. He's the guy on the cross with me. What? guy on the cross. Hold on. All right. So he goes back, gets his supervisor. Supervisor has flaming hair because he's a supervisor, right? So he comes over and he's like, all right, dude, tell me what's his story. He's like, I listen, there's this guy on the cross. He's in the middle. I'm on the side. He says to me after I say to him, hey, listen, can I go where you're going? He says, yeah, buddy, you can go where I'm going. That's it. That's all I got for you. And he's like, the cross. So like, this just happened? He's like, yeah. He's like, was his name Jesus? That's what they were yelling. Jesus and that. Yeah, the guy on the middle cross said I could come, though. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can come. This guy's allowed in. He's the guy in the middle cross. That's who he trusted. That's, and so this preacher shares this. And it's like, yeah, that's it. That's all, that's all that guy's needing is to know the guy in the middle cross said he could come. And you guys get the same thing. Just, let G, just be on Jesus' back, right? And so here's this. Again, Jesus is not going to let you down until you get into the kingdom not going to let you down while you're here. And here's proof. It's Colossians. Colossians 1 has a crazy opportunity for you to see that Jesus is not going to let you down. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in heaven and the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed, talking about Jesus, before anything else. And he, talking about Jesus, holds all creation together. Christ, Jesus, is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he, Christ, has reconciled you to himself. Oh, so God, Christ, right? He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You, and again, just like I read that way too fast. He's brought you into his own presence on his back, right? Just saying, like, there it is. Brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as now we stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and this is where Paul is just kind of confirming it. I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So if you've got, if you're on Jesus's back, you're in the exact same standing as Paul. You have the opportunity right now to proclaim the good news of salvation to anybody. 
And when they say, well, what do I got to do? You say nothing. And that will really shake them up. All right. But at the same time, you just can literally walk forward. It doesn't matter what your walk was before. It's just that this is literally the difference. And if Steve, Steve's probably downstairs, um, Carswell, but this is literally how easy it is. They share this a lot. That once I was blank, and now because of Jesus, I'm this. Once I was prideful, right? And I'm still struggling with that, right? Because it's just easy to do. But now I at least know Jesus has got me on his back. He's carrying me straight to God the Father, and I absolutely have nothing to worry about, and neither do you. Trust him, all right? That's all I got to say about that, all right? So if you guys will bow with me in prayer, I'm going to somehow do this with my eyes open. I don't know. I might have to play guitar with Alana on me because she's out, but that's kind of cool too. So I think I can pull it. Do you think I can pull that off? Mommy has to approve. You can see, look, listen, the cloud of witnesses. All right, no, all right. So if you guys will go ahead and let's uh, bow together in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that you've given us to be able to read your word. And Father, if somebody's here that's never jumped on your back, they've never trusted you, God, it's, it's, it, I, it's easy. I don't know what else to say with that. It's just, it's super easy. Father, we just need to trust you, that you are our savior, that your blood has been shed for us. Uh, Father, you proved it through your blood on the cross and by raising from the dead. Father, there's nowhere else I'd rather be than on your back because you're going to carry me exactly where you want me to go. And Father, one day you're going to carry me straight to the throne of God and you're going to lay me down. You're going to say, here they are. Here he is. And Father, I'm so grateful that, um, that you're doing that because I couldn't do it in my own strength. And Father, if there's someone that's here this morning that wants that, God, I ask that they just surrender right now to you. And Father, I ask that as we go into the rest of this week, that you bring people our direction that need to do the exact same thing. And Father, you allow for us to just share the testimony of the fact that we're on your back and you've got everything else under control. God, help us to not see you as a wingman. Help us not to just think that you're somehow on our side. Father, you are carrying us. And we praise you for this in Jesus' name.